The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, hundreds and hundreds of hours of important information, you know what to do by now. Just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. You will receive your login immediately. And don't forget to visit SunnyTazRadio.com for other life-changing interviews as well. It's your life. Take control. Go to SunnyTazRadio.com. And tonight, a very popular guest returns, Dr. Carmen Bolter, with an amazing new discovery in Egypt, the Hawara Complex, Egypt's underground labyrinth. Dr. Carmen Bolter is a retired professor at the University of Calgary in Canada. She taught in the Graduate Division of Education Research in the Faculty of Education. Dr. Bolter is the creator of the Pyramid Code series and author of Angels and Archetypes, an evolutionary map of feminine consciousness. She has done extensive research in the archives of the Egyptian Museum, gaining official access to the original field notes of excavations done around the pyramids in the early 1900s and has visited Egypt almost 30 times. And directly from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, I would like to welcome our friend, Dr. Carmen Bolter. Hello, Carmen, and welcome back. Thanks. Hi, Mel. Thanks for having me. And by the way, I forgot to give your website, which I usually do at the beginning of the interview, pyramidcode.com, and correct me if I'm wrong, interactive hyphen you.com. Thank you. Yes. Sure. Well, you uh, approached me a few weeks ago and I did some research about your new findings. Very exciting stuff. Why didn't you tell us what this exciting new discovery is? Well, um, there has been work done on this site at Hawara. There's a pyramid there. And most of the research stopped in 2008. And then, of course, there was the revolution and all those sorts of things. But the equipment that people were using before uh, to try to ascertain if there were anomalies in front of the pyramid was a ground penetrating radar that was done by laying wire down on the sand and sending impulses of electricity to see if they could detect if there were cavities down there. The limitation of that technology is that it went five, eight, and 12 meters deep. And so, and the people drove to the site. And so because there's new technology and new technology is more powerful than old technology, 
Uh, and because I've been looking for this site for 25 years, a site that meets these characteristic features, uh, in various places in Egypt, I led, I led an expedition in 2012 and didn't turn out to be the place. I was in and out of the holes at the Giza Plateau for five years. No, that wasn't the place. So I strongly suspected that this was, and I was working with Klaus Donna, who studies out-of-place artifacts, but who's also had a lot of success with a company called Geoscans with a whole new kind of uh, GPR, but high-definition, satellite-based, state-of-the-art ground-penetrating radar that has the capacity to go six kilometers into the Earth, And once you go through, you can see through layers. So if you hit something, you can also see what's below it and below that and below that. So this technology has recently been developed. And it's only in the last little while that there's a lot of verification coming from scans that they did to find the entrance to the Bosnian pyramids. They found They knew there was a find in Australia that had Egyptian artifacts and they used the technology to find the entrance and that ended up being verified and true. So uh, Klaus has engaged in scanning a lot of different places on the planet because because it's satellite based, you don't have to go to the site. So I ended up doing needle in a haystack to find the satellite coordinates uh, by using old maps, going into Google Earth and just basically searching in the area. And I found it. So about five minutes later, Klaus calls me from Vienna, and I said, I think I found something. He says, send me the the Google Earth uh, KMZ file. And two days later, he's like, "Uh, this is amazing. And so it turns out that that the, the, the way the scanning technology works is there is software that has a different signature for each type of element. So you do a separate scan for pottery, a scan for precious metals, precious jewels, water, Uh, cavities themselves, like the shape of the cavities and bone. And so um, we did these scans and it turns out that at very deep levels, so at uh, more than 18 meters deep uh, and, and more than 55 meters deep, there are two separate complexes that don't connect in any way. And in Egyptology, sorry, in archaeology, older is deeper. And so what, there's already been an excavation for the Roman level, which is the top, for the Ptolemaic layer, which is next down, and then it stopped. And so the ground penetrating radar that was done in 2008 basically shows blobs, blobs of different colors, but it's not very definitive. But also that's not where this complex is. So the upper le- level we're calling blue and the lower level we're calling red, uh, Herodotus, in 550 BC was talking about this complex that he was able to go into the blue level, but not to the red, but he had heard about it and people were talking about it. And then Pliny and Strombo and a lot of different people that were at least 600 years apart. So they weren't talking to each other mentioned this place and they called it the labyrinth, but it doesn't seem to me that anybody's been down there because it's just so deep. And so on the blue level and the and the red level on one side of the canal, there are 82 chambers. And it actually covers an area of 81 football fields, which is 107 acres. Wow. And then at that depth, six of the chambers are bigger than Olympic-sized swimming pools. 
all of the, la- the level, the, all of the chambers to the right-hand side of the canal are bigger than the average size house, except one, which is bigger than the average size apartment. There are 1.4 kilometers of passageways connecting these, but they don't connect up and down. So this is phenomenal. And for those listening, you can go to our website too, where Dr. Bolter has provided some images to go with her presentation so you can follow along if you're on your computer. But I have to ask you this, Carmen. When you say you have been looking for this place for over 25 years, how did you know of its existence and where to look there? Did you have a past life memory about it? Oh, absolutely. Yes. And uh, in 1996, I was at the Star Vision Conference in Santa Fe, and a woman named Chelsea Floor uh, showed this chart, and it was a picture, and she said it was the Great Pyramid. And there was a story in an ancient text that she actually had a photocopy of, uh, and it didn't have any title on the book. And uh, this, this, I just went absolutely crazy when I saw this. And so the, the, the narrative in it was that two people uh, had read a prophecy that said two-thirds of the way up the Great Pyramid, there's a way to move a stone. And it was something like abarakadabara, like baraka. But, you know, that abracadabra sure. thing moves. Yep. And this apparently this this is the story. The stone slid away and these two gentlemen went inside and they were describing how musty and dank and slippery and yucky it sounded. And they went down, 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 down. And they realized they had to at least be back down to the level of the, the, the earth level. And then they kept going down, 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 down. It was dank and horrible and dark and slippery and scary and sounded terrible. And they were getting exhausted and they didn't really know where they were going. But once they were committed, they kept going. And then they came to this opening and all of a sudden everything was perfectly clean, clear, huge, huge chambers. And as they approached, the lights went on and they found all these technological devices that looked like they were part of a machine, almost like, you know, computer chips, but big. And there were portholes, and they got the sense that somebody was watching them. When, and they, say, when they say the lights went on, literally or figuratively? Well, this is a technology that seems to be activated by uh, an interface with the human body. It's huh. a, a technology that we don't know about. And... And and I've since heard of people, you know, telling me their their visions when they've come to Egypt, and I've not disclosed this, and they say similar things, where they're etherically flying through the space, it lights up as they arrive, and they're called light keys. And anyway, so they went from one place to another within, the, and it kept opening up and opening up into bigger and bigger and bigger chambers. And I went really crazy over this thing and she i went up to her at the end to chelsea floor at the end of her presentation and she says oh you want that you want it you can have the copy and i i just started reading it and all the way to the airport and all the way home in the airport i didn't put the thing down since i until i finished it i was absolutely fascinated with it and and i'll just tell you that um my cat had the strangest reaction to it um you know she kept on wanting to sit on top of the of the of the manuscript and I was like, what are you doing? Like, she was like crawling on me and pushing, pushing the, 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 the paper into me. And then, and, and this, I'm not, okay, sounds strange, but she leaned forward, lined her chakras up and put her, her little third eye against my third eye. And I started to hear a voice in my head and she said, this is true. You were there. 
And so was I. I'm like, are you talking to me? And she actually talked to me three times um, in, in that incarnation. And she's passed now. But what she told me another time was that she was a reincarnate of my temple cat when I was in Egypt. And the first day I met my show horse, I was on the uh, national show circuit for dressage. And I met this horse that wasn't for sale. He ended up being provincial grand champion. And the day that I met him, she came running across the living room, knocked me back into my chair as I was folding my, closing my book and getting ready to go to bed. And she said, that horse and me were your temple cats in Egypt. You must have that horse. And the lady goes, he's not for sale. And she called me back and said, okay, I'll sell him to you. <laughs> and why, the first, why do you think she, have a, he had a change, she had a change of heart? Because she was a par excellence trainer. She was on the Class B show circuit until the end of summer, and she wanted to complete that. But what she got a kick out of doing is pushing an animal to their height. And she had achieved that with him. He won the provincial grand championship, and she brought him to me. And she wanted somebody who was going to keep the training up, not show him as much as she had been showing him because that was you know, stressful for him. And he needed to go somewhere. And she ended up training the horse that was, was for sale. And then we ended up in a show together. And she won by one point or something. <laughs> but that was all right. And he got so scared when because he, he hadn't performed in so long. But anyway, so um, the, I was living in the city. And then we built a house in the country. And the first time they were together, I went and sat outside and watched. And uh, Kissy, the cat, was Calico, and Boo, that was my nickname for him, um, was Bay with a white star and one white foot. So they had the same coloring. And so there, so we brought, took the horse from the stable and brought them out to the farm and built ring, riding rings and stuff like that. So anyway, every day, and that started right away, Kissy would sit on the post and Boo would be right there and all the horses would be like far away. If Kissy would move, Boo would move. If Boo would move, Kissy would move. And they were always together. So you think they connected, reconnected, if you will. Yep, I do. And that makes sense to me. It just does. And um, I don't think I would be doing any of this research if I wasn't being dragged around by my past life memories. And so after this with Chelsea Floor, I ended up in a position uh, with friends that knew people on the plateau and my friend had a shop inside before they put the big wall up inside the gate. And with permission, they arranged for me to go on the plateau at sunset. And I was always with someone who was, you know, helping me make sure it's all okay. And um, I was in and out of holes on that Giza plateau for five years. I lived over there for two and a half of them. Of them. And then, you know, every time I was there, but not living there, I, I still went and did this. Did you feel at home there whenever the first time you went there, I believe it was 1977, correct me if I'm wrong. Yep, that's right. Did you feel at home that first time? Oh, yeah. I didn't want to leave. I wanted to be there forever. And then I just became obsessed with reading everything in sight and, and all that and trying to figure this out. Now, I found old pictures and there's, if you if you're, imagine you're inside the Sphinx's body to the left, the, below um, I found a picture that was taken in 1910, I think. I don't even know if they had pictures then, but it seems to me that that's what the picture said. And it was the tops of the pillars of the Temple of Isis. And then Zahi came along, Zahi Hawass, and cemented over the whole thing. And so I also know that a lot of those holes um, were blocked, like tunnels. The tunnel system was blocked. 
but part of the memory is that as the planet would rotate, there were chambers underground at the high-level high initiates. There would be one initiate doing an out-of-body experience, star, star knowledge, and four that would be there protecting and helping the person do the work because they were actually going to leave their body. And so my memory is that there was some kind of blue lotus elixir that they inhaled, and then they went into a trance state. But the place that they did it in the underground passageways was, and this passage went straight up onto the surface of the Giza Plateau, but the star that they were going to travel to would be directly overhead. So they knew with the rotation of the earth exactly when that would happen, exactly which high-level initiate would go to what star. And so it literally, as they left their body, their body would collapse, the, the assistant initiates would catch them, and they, you know, massage them to make sure that person was okay. They would leave and go and get the star knowledge from off planet. But the trick, that, that was the easy part. The trick was how to return and how to return fully. And so the initiates, the assistant initiates were on duty while the person was having this experience. As they came back, they made sure the person was in, they made sure they were fine. And then the high level initiate doing the star travel would go into isolation for 36 hours. And it was about remembering. And all of it was about visiting the other side as to practice because they knew that they weren't going to die. They were going to drop their earthly garment vehicle. And they were really star people having an earth experience. And another piece of evidence that goes with that is the staff always has a bird head, the long staffs that you see with the seated figures, mm -hmm. and it's forked at the bottom and it never touches the ground. So and it's a balance of the body. A bird can fly in the sky and walk on the earth. Uh, we're living in a world of duality and we're not really here. It doesn't touch. So if you see artists' renditions and they don't, their eyes aren't trained, and they don't know that, they'll paint something and they'll, they'll have the staff touching because they don't understand what they're doing, what they're looking at. Anyway, so they would bring the star knowledge back, they would anchor it into their body, and then they would carry on, and next time it would be someone else, a different chamber, a different star for supporting um, initiates. So this was one of the things that I ascertained was happening on the Giza Plateau. This book that Chelsea Floor gave me a photocopy of, said you go two-thirds of the way up the east side of the Great Pyramid, and that's where the stone is. Well, that's all you have to do to camouflage it, is actually have it be a different pyramid. So then in February 2012, um, someone sent me a photograph of something that looked quite large, trapezoidal shape, um, with a circle in the center, an X in the middle, and something that actually looked like a pyramid if you zoomed in. And the walls looked like they were 30 feet thick. So there was something about the trapezoid shape, the thickness of the walls. You couldn't tell how high they were. And I started consulting with um, a very dear friend of mine who's the most powerful psychic I've ever known, actually. And she's been tracking me on my trips to Egypt since 1996. And I would come back and I would say to her, so how'd we do? And she would it would be like she'd phoned everybody that had had any contact with me. She always knew exactly what had happened, exactly, you know, where we had struggles and what discovery. She always knew everything before I told her anything. So I really trust her. 
And when we started processing about this place, she said they're very... Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.